A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we react to all the incomings and outgoings as the transfer window comes to a close in Europe. How did your side do? We'll be describing our best and worst and what it might mean for the season ahead. We'll also check in on the Lionesses. They're back in action after winning the Euros as they hope to seal World Cup qualification. This is the Game. Hello, I'm Hugh Wisencroft. Welcome back to the game. Uh, I'm alongside Gregor Robertson and Jonathan Northcroft today as we look back on last night. Yes, we've waited until Friday so we could review the end of the transfer window. The only door in the world that can only slam shut. No, it can't be politely closed. No, absolutely not. It only slammed shut 11 o'clock last night as we got the news that a raft of deals were being concluded and some more I think we knew about this morning. Um, And we just wanted to rate who had the best and worst windows. But I've got to start by saying, Johnny, it's a weird one because I was looking through the number of signings. Pretty much every team's made about half a dozen. Outgoings, huge as well in the Premier League, you know, underlining that it is pretty much the Super League. Every team can have pretty high turnover each and every season. But there has been big money spent. And I wonder whether that's just the five subs or something bigger going on. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, there has been big money spent. But the thing I noticed is actually, I mean, it's a nuanced thing. It's it's big money, but not across the board. I think we've got this total of 1.9 billion sort of gross outlay on players. But it's really skewed by three or four clubs having really gone big. Chelsea, obviously, Manchester United, West Ham, Forest, Newcastle. So, you know, while they've gone big, there's actually three clubs that have, have um, made a transfer profit, among them Man City and Brighton, you know, doing, doing just about the best this season relative to their strengths. Liverpool have only spent four million net. And you've actually got 10 clubs who've spent either 40 million or less net. So you'd say that that's quite a, a sober outlay when you set it against the fact that TV money's just gone up again. The Champions League money's gone up. So we've got this funny picture, actually, where there's, yes, huge money, but but not by everybody. And, and what you're seeing more than ever, I think, in this window are a total divergence of transfer strategies. Some clubs really going down the money ball route, and I think Southampton are the most notable ones who started to really follow that that route. Whereas other clubs, let's say Chelsea with, with Todd Bowley um, or, or, or the, the United um, Blazer model, really sort of still doing kind of traditional transfer windows where they're going out and looking for for big players for for big money. So it's been the most interesting 
I mean, I think I think I've said before, I'm not massively a fan of the transfer window, but I had to suspend that this summer because it's been really compelling. Even yesterday, watching Abamian come back into the Premier League at Chelsea at the same time that Southampton are stealing a couple of sort of top prospects from City's Academy. That to me just said everything about the the the, the divergence in, in transfer strategies that we're seeing. And it's massively important, isn't it? I think if you have a successful strategy and it works out for you, it can be absolutely massive for your football club. And I think we've already seen with Southampton some of those uh, younger players having an effect out on the pitch and you can maybe expect a little bit more from them. We'll get to Southampton a little bit later on, but what we're going to do on this podcast is just judge whether we think a team had a really good or bad window in advance, the best or worst from this summer, because it could make a big difference to your side. And I think we're going to start with Chelsea. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang coming in through the door is one of those signings that I think caught the eye on deadline day, as you mentioned, Johnny, but they have brought in some big players a little bit earlier on in the window. You think notably about Raheem Sterling, Kaladu Koulibaly, Mark Kukurea came in from Brighton as well, Wesley Fafana this week, and then on deadline day, Dennis Zakaria from Juventus on loan and Aubameyang back in the Premier League. Add to that a host of really high-quality youngsters, another, um, I guess, another part of their strategy, Hutchinson, Slanina, Chukwameka, uh, Cassidy came in as well. Some really good quality young players coming in at Chelsea. But I think six genuine first teamers, we can call it that. Did they have one of the best windows, Gregor? I wouldn't say so. And look, there's no doubt they've added some real quality there. But it just smacks to me a bit of a... It has smacked to me of a bit of a kind of trolley dash and you know we've spoken about clubs that have strategy there I don't really think there's been a great deal of strategy in this yes have bought a few up and coming young players which they've done for a, a long period of time it can be hugely profitable for for, uh, for for the biggest clubs even if they don't make it to the first team and Fofana I think of them all is probably the best I think in terms of his age the longevity how much they needed a player of his, of his ilk as well um, uh, you know a really a really strong quick centre half I think he's the he's a standout, and but I, I just as I say, I think I think there's been very little of that of the strategy that we've been talking about there. And it's understandable. I've spoken about this before that you know it's a it's a new era and it's it's only just taking shape, and there are probably uh, senior positions at the club still to be filled. Um, but it's it's been basically going around <laughs> Europe this summer and spending a lot of money on, as I said before, or being linked with a lot of players. Who seem to have been touted around Europe for a long period of time, um, so I, you know, I'm not, I'm not blown away by, by their recruitment. Yeah, it's an interesting point, Gregor. Um, Golo Conte could be missing for a while. No, well, they've brought in, I guess, Zakaria from Juventus. Is that enough for Chelsea? What do you think, Johnny? Yeah, I, I don't think Zakaria is quite an Golo Conte, but nobody is. Um, I kind of agree with Gregor. My, I'm, a, I'm a bit fifty-fifty about Chelsea, but they have signed talent for fans. A really good prospect player now, even you know, but in in the centre back market, a really good investment. And Cucurella is is a is a very good player, even if he was overpriced. And then you know, I think you'd have to say Sterling's probably the best of the the signings. Koulibaly's good, but they've lost good players. Chelsea, and the thing that really strikes me is they haven't really addressed the the biggest issue that they had, which was you know the 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 the, the sort of lack of a really top class. Um, number nine to take them forward. Yes, Abamyang's there, but 
is it diminishing returns of him? Is that a one season thing? Um, so they seem, there's been a lot of activity, a lot of sort of sound and fury around Chelsea without really getting the key points addressed. No successor really to Kante, as we've been saying, and, and no kind of, you know, number nine of the of the future. So a funny, funny window from them. Manchester United have spent huge money for Eric Ten Hag. My concern is I'm not really sure that they have a strategy either. Uh, Malassia came in from Feyenoord, Christian Eriksen on a free, Lissandro Martinez, Casemiro, Anthony and Martin Dubravka. Um, three of those six signings done in the sort of last 10 days, if you like, last week of the window. Huge money on Anthony, big money on Casemiro. Some would feel Martinez was overpriced as well. Johnny, what do you think about Manchester United's dealings? I, I actually think it, it, it's going to come down to Anthony. We know when we look back at this window, it'll it'll stand or fall as to how successful he is because he's the he's the marquee investment, and at his age with his talent, it could be an incredible signing. But equally, coming from the Eredivisie with his physical size, it could be a disaster. So we, I think we have to to see him. Um, the other signings, I think, are pretty good, and and. You know, if Anthony works, they've had a good window because this was a club that, as Ralph Ranić said, needed open heart surgery. It's a very different Manchester United team to the one that finished last season, thanks to those signings. Malassia is an upgrade on on Shaw. You know, Eriksen is is that footballer and midfielder that they've needed. Martinez maybe overpriced, but does look a really good signing. And Casemiro is is is. You know, world class, proven, and and he's not too old, I don't think. So, it is going to come down to it's going to come down to Anthony. And you say they don't have a strategy, Hugh. I mean, I think the strategy is just let's ask Eric what he wants. Well, it's not a bad one, I guess, as long as he can sign good players. I mean, my, no, it's person- a bad one, Hugh. Let's be clear about that. It's quite a bad one. <laughs> my my personal, I was about to say, my personal feeling on it is it's not it's not great if you're signing half of Ajax's team or at least attempting to sign half of his Ajax team. It shows there's sort of no scouting being done around the rest of Europe. And we can't we can't really forget that Manchester United spent about three months, if not longer, trying to sign Frankie de Jong and never really got a player, in my opinion, that I don't think they've got a player of his ilk. And that was the first signing they went for. They went pretty hard, offered in, in excess of 80 million, didn't get that player and didn't, in my opinion, didn't get a player in that mould either. So it's sort of, if that was such a key component of the team and the way that you wanted to play and you didn't get that player then is that really a successful window? I'm not sure. Um, And again, the money, so, so big. And I think um, the message was sent around Europe that Manchester United is still going to be a pretty weak negotiator when it comes to doing transfers. You can get a lot of of money out of them. And in that regard, there's no difference to the the previous um, leadership groups that we've seen at Manchester United, if you like. Gregor, happy with what they've done? Agree with Johnny? Broadly, I agree with Johnny. I think like if you... If you look in the last week, Christian Eriksen's had a good week. I was doubting him playing in the, you know, in a kind of holding two in midfield, and I still don't think he'll do that for the course of a season. But he's been he's been good. Uh, I think Malassi has been really good. I think Martinez, you know, after the sort of shrieks and howls about his size after the Brentford game, is showing that he's a good a good player, a good defender, and he's got a bit of bite and aggression which Manchester United really needed. And I think Casemiro. I don't, I, mean, I, I don't really know what to think about Casemiro. I think it may be another one of those ones where it depends almost on the trajectory of the club. Where if Manchester United do take an upturn and they, and this is the beginning of of something better, he can be part of that journey. If not, 
he could quite easily be another player who sucked into the vortex. So, uh, you know, I think he could be someone who it'll depend on the, the team around him as well. I agree with Johnny. Anthony has to be has to be big. He has to be a big it's a big success and quite quickly really too because Rashford, despite my kind of hopes for for this for this being a turning point for him, uh, the, the Liverpool game, sorry, being a turning point for him, uh, has looked pretty kind of pretty average in the in the two games since. Um, yeah, I think there's there's promise there. We don't have to discuss other strategy. There is no strategy. But the people who are in the building, there's undoubtedly promise and, and potential there. OK, let's move on to a team next who, who didn't necessarily make new signings, but did sign a new squad in the shape of Nottingham <laughs> Forest. Um, 21 players. And I mean, I can waste my time listing them all. But I mean, there doesn't seem to be any particular demographic in terms of the profile of player that they've signed. What are Nottingham Forest doing? I've got absolutely no idea, Gregor. Will it work? It's your former club. Let me know. We need to start with kind of again addressing the, the arguments that are being made for, you know, to justify this. And the first is that they released, I think, a dozen players. I think seven of the 14 players who played uh, or, you know, entered the pitch at Wembley left. A lot of them were loans. So there was a big hole in their squad. But there's filling a hole and then there's like topping up with kind of. <laughs> with scores of bodies and like <laughs> no soil on the top <laughs> I don't know there's like it's pretty baffling I think there are there are some again there's some real kind of players you look at there and think this has got great potential I think Gibbs White is a is a great player I think he was outstanding for Sheffield United in the championship last season even when he's played for Wolves he's been really impressive it's just like they've had a lot of turnover and I don't know he's just he's, not really he's not Portuguese down. Not well, that's also, that also counts against him, yeah. And uh, I've said before, I love, I really like Lewis O'Brien. I would love to hope that, you know, that if, you know, despite the number of players that are coming in, a guy from, from Huddersfield in the Championship can hold down a place in midfield, then I think he probably can. And, but, you know, again, going through them all, there are some that are just, uh, seem like a roll of the dice and seem like to kind of just, actually more just to get a body in the door. I actually think Willie Bolly could be a decent sign because you know the jarring thing from watching the first you know the first five games or whatever it's been uh, is that they've signed all these players but still had a back three from last season with Scott McKenna, Steve Cook in the, in the centre, and Joe Worrell. And I don't think that's probably going to be good enough. I fear a little bit for Steve Cooper because he doesn't want to lose another game six nil. He doesn't want to lose you know have any more embarrassing defeats because. The owner of this football club is a bit of a loose cannon, to be brutally honest. He could pull the trigger and that would seem like it would cause an outrage among the fan base, but I think he would do it anyway. And I think he'll need to actually, you'll need to do, you'll need to do something pretty quickly to, to meld this team together and get some points on the board. Look, it goes one of two ways when it comes to Nottingham Forest, doesn't it? I mean, it's a brand new squad. I think there is some more quality in there than what they've had before. There's obviously going to be a raft of unhappy players at Nottingham Forest because they're not all going to start. They're not all going to play regularly and they've all just signed up for a brand new team and all that energy and um, sort of positivity and optimism when you sign for a new club is immediately out the window when they go and sign. I mean, a new, like I said, a new squad. I mean, I guess your position's there to fight for, but it's such a unique situation. A lot of the signings in there, I think, are... It's like they haven't decided what they want to do. Are they signing players for the championship but give them a year in the Premier League? 
um, and think that maybe they can bounce back up? Or are they just like going all out to stay up? And I actually can't tell what they're trying to do. And I'm not really sure they know themselves. So we'll see how things pan out for Nottingham Forest. Uh, a lot of fans want them to do well. Um, but it is a very strange approach to the transfer window with a lot of money spent for them. Let's move on to a club um, who are at the top of the table at the moment in the shape of Arsenal. They didn't get that central midfield player on transfer deadline day. They had three bids rejected for Aston Villa's Douglas Louise and a lot of Arsenal fans. I spoke to a couple last night. Not really unhappy that they've missed out on Douglas Louise, but but certainly unhappy that they didn't bring in a central midfield player that could play a little bit deeper. Uh, Fabio Vieira did come into the club. Marquinhos, Matt Turner, um, Gabriel Jesus and Alexander Zinchenko, the two from Manchester City at the end there. Definitely the highlight as far as I'm concerned. Would you call it a good window, Gregor? Undoubtedly, yeah. You're right. A, a, another midfielder would have kind of made a, potentially a, an outstanding window because, uh, you know, Thomas Partey's keeps getting this niggly thigh injury. Granit Xhaka, we know, can potentially be indisciplined and be missing some games some, from time to time. One thing you would say is uh, Lokonga is someone who's not, you know, not seen a great deal of it. He, he came in and played really well the other night. But we've already seen that Jesus is going to be uh, a huge, huge signing for them. And Zinchenko has... The, the two of them have just raised the bar. You, you know, we, we also have to say he can he can slip into midfield and Kieran Tierney can play at left-back. So, absolutely, been a brilliant window for, for Arsenal. And, you know, um, I think it, I think it really could push them into into the reckoning for the, for the Champions League spots on a sustained basis throughout the season, which is which is going to be a, a big step forward for them. I do think Douglas Louise could have added something as well, though. I thought that would have been absolutely the cherry on the cake. Another player that would have known Mikel Arteta that's been in the system at Manchester City uh, while he was there. A decent price as well, but certainly a player who is a holding midfielder, is more defensive, brings a little bit of aggression, Brazilian as well. So, you know, you know, the Brazilian revolution at Arsenal could continue. But I think actually the best thing that Arsenal did this window is supplement what they did last summer. Some more players who come in a good age, good resale value if they don't work out, but certainly able to contribute, you know, a good wedge of their career if they're going to be Arsenal stalwarts in the future. So, um, so yeah, positive, I think, when it comes to Arsenal. If I was a fan of that club, I'd be pretty happy at the moment. Um, let's move to the other half of North London with Spurs. And they brought in a big name in Richarlison. They brought in even Perisic as well. Jed Spence came in, didn't he? There were uh, Eve Basuma, one of the players that came in. All in all, I think they would have done more had the club, I think, found the right targets because I think Antonio Conte is one of those managers. We know they had um, sort of an interest in a, a few players that maybe would have played right wing back, I guess some very quick players in the shape of sort of Dan James uh, towards the end of the window didn't really materialize for them. But I think what they did was pretty positive. Again, what do you think of Spurs, Gregor? Yeah, very positive window for, for Tottenham. We all know, I just feel that all the, all the pieces fit as well. Um, and that's very important. I think we, we know that Antonio Conte's got a, a very clear blueprint. He'll play three at the back. He'll play wing backs and they're very important for him. So he brought in Ivan Perisic who someone who's worked with Inter Milan and has had a positive start and Jed Spence is someone for the future. I think you're right, Hugh, that possibly one more player on that side they would have liked to do because Roy Allen, not entirely sure he's 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 going to be at Spurs in the long term. And Richarlison just, we've seen his impact from the bench and he's someone who can come on and, and change games and he's someone who's going to be there 
as a as someone who can step in if if and when Harry Kane or Son uh, either need to be rested or they are they are injured or in in European games because we have to remember they've got a, a much much busier schedule this season. So absolutely very positive. Basuma's another one. I think he's not he's not really hit the ground running yet, but he's a kind of combative all action midfielder that I think Spurs Spurs needed. So um very positive window for Spurs. Well, we're going to discuss Bournemouth next, who I think a lot of people feel like their lack of activity during this transfer window maybe makes them favourites to be relegated from the Premier League. All of the players that they've signed um, sort of have championship experience. It doesn't look like they've pushed the boat out. And listen, I don't want to criticise Bournemouth because you've got to cut your cloth accordingly. And if you don't have big money to spend then maybe that's not in the best interest of the club. They've obviously sacked their manager, Scott Parker, and there were differences uh, over what the club should be going forward. It'll be really interesting to see who they appoint to replace Scott Parker. But at this point in time, you know, the likes of Ryan Fredericks, Joe Rothwell, Marcus Tavernier, Marcus Sanessi, Jack Stevens, who came in on deadline day, and Neto, the Spanish goalkeeper, just might not be enough for them. Gregor, what do you think about their window and, and what does it mean for their season? Yeah, I mean, there is a there is a kind of an urge to to think that spending lots of money is always good. I think there's a balance though and I think that Scott Parker, what Scott Parker wanted was to be competitive and he feels that he's not got a squad that's going to enable him to be competitive this season and he wasn't being supported uh, to change that. So I understand that. I also understand from the club's point of view that their owners have seen... His finances hit quite considerably and he's now pivoting towards wanting to see a, a sustainable future for the club. That's going to be very difficult for a club of the size of Bournemouth, particularly if they're not in the Premier League. They're in the Premier League, they have a lot of money coming in from, from the TV TV deal, of course, but the difference between that and the Championship is vast, so it's going to be very, very difficult over a long period of time for Bournemouth, Bournemouth to be a, a sustainable club as he, as he sees, sees them being now. Having said that, Taverni is a good signing. And I think probably we, we could look at Joe Rothwell being someone who's who could be a good signing for them. But what we're looking at is a lot of the players who were were here in the Premier League the last time Bournemouth were were in the Premier League um, need to step up and and perform at a higher level. And when we don't know who the manager is going to be, yet, it's going to it's very hard to see that happening. I, I think it's difficult for Bournemouth um, to stay up. I think a lot of people now tipping them to go straight down. They just you're right. I think they're not as competitive as maybe they, they need to be to stay up. But, I, you know, undoubtedly, I guess you'd say they haven't had a great window because they haven't supplemented the squad with, with real quality. But if they aren't in the financial position to, to spend, I'm not going to be too down on Bournemouth. It kind of is what it is when it comes to their club. The only thing that I would say is sacking Scott Parker still to me makes no sense. Look, we'll only uh, know whether it's worked or not at the end of the season, but if it was designed to keep them up, I think it was more to do with a fractured relationship. If it's designed to to keep them in the Premier League, I'm really intrigued to see who takes this squad over because I don't think it really has enough to stay in the Premier League. Uh, let's move to Everton next. Intriguing window from Frank Lampard, James Tarkovsky, Ruben Vinagra, McNeil, Cody, Onana, Mope, Idrissa Ganagay, and James Garner on the final day of the window as well. I think 
this is the difference. This window has been the difference between a side that we think could have really struggled and been in that relegation dogfight to one that is, you know, just above it. I'm not going to call them a team that um, that is going to have a superb season, but could they be, you know, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th and quite a bit away from the relegation zone? Yeah, I think so. It's got enough Premier League experience. They've sort of changed the dynamic of the squad, bringing a lot more... Um, tenacity and I, I just think it's a better team in terms of quality as well once you add these players in if they can all stay fit and firing and so I think it has been a very successful window for Everton do you agree? Up to a point has it got enough goals though you? Well that is the big one actually I was talking about this last night um, they really need Dominic Calvert-Lewin to be fit and firing if they are then I think they're going to be a pretty solid team I am concerned about goals I know Neil Mopé's come in but yeah, that is my major concern. But you just wonder if they'll be solid enough elsewhere on the pitch to, to stop them from really being dragged down. Yeah, I mean, Tarkovsky and, and Cody coming in is, were two good signings, I think. Not like flashy signings, but players who know the Premier League and I think were keen to come to the football club as well, which is important. And I like James, I really like James Gardner. Gardner, sorry, had a really a good season with Nottingham Forest. You know, he went back to Manchester United and I think probably had some hopes about impressing enough to get into the into the reckoning at, at Old Trafford. That's not happened and and this is a really good move for him. It's a chance for him to 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 show what he can do in the Premier League. I, I think he's 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 well capable of, of, of performing at this level. We don't know about about Gay what you know whether he's the same player that left. But I agree, I think that probably there's the foundations there. It's just whether they're gonna have enough goals to to keep them in the league. I've still I still fear for them personally that like I don't think it's going to be a comfortable season. We shall see. Another team who I think maybe we thought would struggle is Southampton. And they haven't really signed standout experienced high quality players, but what they have done is certainly signed some players of the future and set themselves up for the long haul. Really intriguing uh, approach, one of the most interesting in the Premier League in terms of, you know, what people would consider to be that money ball approach. You know, young players of high quality, highly rated, who've come through some really good academies. Are they ready to now make the, the leap into first team football? You know, this could be massive for the club going forward if these players either, you know, turn out to be, you know, really good players in the Premier League, minimum. But if some of them turn out to be really excellent players, that resale value, that money that could come into the club could be absolutely massive. There's no, there's no real point really listing them off because there are no real household names in there. I guess uh, Douche Coletta Saar that came in from Marseille has been linked with a number of big moves over the last few seasons. We know about Ainsley Maitland-Niles from Arsenal, of course. Gavin Bazunu. Um, came in from Manchester City, been on loan in the football leagues, but an Ireland international already and elsewhere. You know, it's just some highly rated young players. As I say, no household names. And yet we can, we can probably say they've had a good window, Southampton. Would you agree? Absolutely. You know, I, I said in the preview podcast that, you know, we had no idea which way this was going to go. But after seeing them play a few times, and I think a bit of a tweak to their, to their style of play as well, it's slightly less kind of full throttle um you know, high intensity pressing up the pitch. There's times I was at the game against Manchester United uh, last week, and you know they didn't. They sat off them really. Let let Man United have the ball at the back, and then pressed sort of in coordinated, you know, with triggers, which was a which is a change, I think. And some of the young players, un- undoubtedly, it's you know consistency is going to be an issue. But Romeo Lavia was 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 really impressive. Uh, he scored a goal as well in midweek, and I really liked um, Armel Bellacocha. 
20-year-old centre-half who came over from the Bundesliga from, from Bochum. Um, really, really powerful, read the game well, and I think he looked like a real prospect. So it, it's, it's fascinating. It's been, you know, four, I think they're saying four players from Manchester City, and obviously they've, they've, the, the man who's running the recruitment now came from Manchester City's youth system, so these are player in, players he knows very well. So it, it's going to be very interesting to see. We've, we've kind of spoken about clubs who don't have a strategy. So it's not to have a strategy. It's just going to be interesting to see how well it works. So up next is a team who we can almost already say have had a successful window because of the way that Erling Haaland has hit the ground running. Manchester City signed not only the Norwegian, who looks like he's going to be probably the top goal scorer this year, but Calvin Phillips, a Stefan Ortega came in from the Bundesliga, Sergio Gomez and Manuel Akanji from Borussia Dortmund. Uh, the Switzerland centre-back, actually, I think, is a really important signing for them. Firstly, what, 15 million quid, something like that is a really good um, signing for Manchester City. They don't seem to ever get, you know, really torn apart when it comes to spending massive fees. We know what the Jack Grealish fee was. That was a release clause. I don't think they would have gone to that price um, had that not been there, but there you go. Um, but otherwise, I think they really needed a Kanji to help their centre-back position so far this season. That has been my one concern for Manchester City. They just need to find a consistent pairing, I think, um, to, to keep the goals from going in. Not that it seems to matter with the way that Erling Haaland's hit the ground running. Jonathan Northcroft, Manchester City, good window? Oh, an incredible window. And I think one of the one of the issues the Premier League have got is that, you know, you've got a club there with the most money, possibly the best coach, the best squad already, and probably the best transfer planning now, you know, them in Liverpool. But, you know, we talked about strategy. This is like Haaland, they got at that price because um, they, they, they were able to do the work and, and make sure they got him at the ahead of the queue and they knew they could get him for the release clause. So, you know, that's a that's a deal which took years to execute. Then you look at Alvarez coming in in January, fabulous signing already. Um, and then, you know, Akanji, he's on the list. They bring him in when they need him. Gomez, um, who, who, you know, a, a, another one that perfectly fits the profile. One, they didn't want to overpay for Cucurella. And Calvin Phillips, they got him early in the window, you know, at the same price as a Morgan Gibbs White. And and it, it's a it's a club that have actually then made sixty million pounds transfer profit while doing all this. It's pretty frightening. Last year, you know, they tried for Harry Kane, didn't get him, and instead of going silly with that money, they just kept it and have spent it this year. So over the last two years actually, City have um I think broken even. In fact, they're still in profit over 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 a kind of two year cycle, and this is frightening. And and they're just bringing in, you know, the very best. They're allowing Guardiola to evolve his team and his style. They're churning players at the right time. I'd say um, they might regret. You know, just talk about Southampton. They might regret some of those. Actually, they might regret letting Bazuno go. I think he looks incredible as a talent, as a young keeper, and they might regret Romeo Lavia, who. who looks like a proper talent at 18 as well. But overall, an incredible window and, you know, another Man City element that should strike fear in the Premier League, their ability to, to do this kind of thing. How special a window was it for them, Gregor? The same Derling Haaland, who could be the the greatest goal scorer that the Premier League's ever seen and possibly Europe. <laughs> 
<laughs> I hope that's not too much hyperbole, but he's he's frightening. Julian Alvarez, we, we just saw against Nottingham Forest alone how how good a player he is. And I think he's going to have a big impact as well. So, you know, you move on Gabriel Jesus, who was a, a player who was on the fringes, the periphery, and you bring in Alvarez, who looks as good a player and, you know, with a younger age, with, with possibly more potential. Um, and as Johnny says, that is that's forward planning. And to have done that in a window, we, we, as Johnny says, I thought it was about 20 million, but I'm looking at transfer market here and they don't include all the players who've gone to Southampton because they come from their, their youth system, basically. So, yeah, it's like, there's, you know, we talk about Chelsea, Manchester City in particular, uh, in particular, kind of hoarding so many quality players. This is what it can also do for you. It can, it can bring in some much needed funds to balance the books. So, yeah. I think Manchester City have, have had the most successful window. Johnny, we've got to talk about Leicester City, OK? This is, for me, the worst window. But Leicester have lost four games in a row now after their defeat to, to Manchester United. But what's most interesting, I think, is the rhetoric. Um, you know, all this talk about how things are so challenging, both from Brendan Rodgers, but also the ownership group who, who put a statement in the programme at the King Power last night saying that they would never put the club's future in jeopardy in a transfer market, we sort of suggested that there isn't really money to spend. I do have a lot of patience for this because again, we can't just call on clubs to spend and spend and spend. There has been lots of investment in infrastructure at Leicester city and incredible training ground plans to expand their stadium and improve their stadium. So, you know, clubs can't just spend money on players alone, but there is a feeling that in the premier league with so many clubs improving their squads, that if you don't, then you stand still and you'll be overtaken by other clubs. And maybe that's going to be the case with Leicester City. How big do you think their issues are? I mean, they sound, they signed um, Valt Fez to replace Wesley Fafana, 15 million pound, a centre-back that came in from France and Alex Smithies, uh, a backup goalkeeper. Um, you know, no real solid business done this window. And maybe that is because of the lack of successes they had in their transfer window last summer. Yeah, well, look, I think starting point, if we're talking about track records, you know, you're talking about an ownership who took a club fresh out of League One, took Leicester City fresh out of League One, won a Premier League, got to a Champions League quarterfinal, won the FA Cup, you know, finished in the top five or six, three years in a row, built the best training ground in the country and are renovating the King Power. So I don't think the ownership have got any real questions to answer in terms of, of their long-term sort of stewardship of the club you know, one window where they haven't spent money really shouldn't change perceptions of them. And as you touch on, Hugh, actually what they're suffering now is the, the hangover of a couple of windows where the investments just haven't really worked. And that Leicester model was always dependent on great scouting, picking up talents that, that, that were going to they could turn into to world beaters and in some cases selling them on and... I think Brendan, I said this in a previous podcast, who I've got huge admiration for as a coach. I think if he's been one Achilles heel in his in his career at the date, it may be the, the recruitment. And that, that, that that's just a fact. People don't like that, but that's that might be a pattern. Um, and the players he signed, you know, I'll be honest, some of them, like Pats and Dak, I was jumping up and down, so what a great signing that is. So I also accept sometimes signings just don't quite work out. And, and it doesn't mean that the person that signed them is 
a fool or anything, but they have to work out. And, and the fact is that, that that investment over the last couple of years just hasn't worked out from, from Leicester. I think apart from Fofana and James Justin, then... Telemans. So and Telemans, of course. He, he kind of came in on loan, didn't he? But yeah. Just before Brendan. But yeah, Telemans. You know, maybe Castagna, possibly. But that's not enough of a hit rate for Leicester City. You know, the hit rate was much better before. And just to, to you know, add to the kind of chaos of the window, the new head of recruitment still hasn't started yet. You know, Martin Glover from Southampton, he was on gardening leave, so they didn't didn't even get a head of recruitment in this 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 window. Then you look at last night when you got chairman's notes where he, I what um, is trying to explain to the fan base what they've done, and you know Brendan in the press conference afterwards tells gives a different view, and that's not a great situation for the football club. I just think they need to take a deep breath, realise they've still got some very good players in that squad and put it behind them. You know, And also there's players there like Telemans and Madison who've spent half the summer wondering if they were going. It's time to put it all behind them and, and get to work, as Brendan would say, knuckle down. Because the squad's still good enough to, to get up that league, but um, they can't let this... They can't let this be have, a, have too great a hangover because of where they are already, bottom of the table with no wins in five. They, they, they've got to put it behind them quickly and, and use that talent to get up the league. It's an interesting one for Leicester. Um, how much of a disadvantage do you think they're currently at, Gregor, given that they could well lose a James Madison who had interest this summer? Uh, of course, Yuri Tielemans could go on a free next summer as well. You know, I, I'm not going to say it's a crisis for Leicester City, but the outlook currently doesn't look too great. No, it doesn't. Um, I think they really need to kind of... Rodgers needs to change the record, actually. I think, it, you know, he, he did say, he did, in fairness to him, say, look, I'm glad this window's shut now. We can move on. But I do I agree with Johnny. I don't think he really helped. I think you can try and kind of bat these things off. He kept talking about it. the players like to see new signings coming in as well. It lifts the group. They're ambitious. I mean that's true to a point. They like to they like they like to play as well. So these the, the guys who the guys who are here know they're going to play, and it's up to them now to 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 play better than they have been because they haven't been reaching anywhere like the standards they can. And part of that is the atmosphere that's been sort of pervading the club. They are at a disadvantage. There are holes in the team. They're always. I mean, it seems for a long time now, a fairly long time anyway. This centre half seems to have been a bit of an issue playing in Didi there. They often play a Marty there. So Yunchu is just kind of out in the cold, really. Johnny Evans is not always fit. That's, that's a big hole in the team for me. But I, I, I also agree with Johnny. I don't think you can really say too much about the owners the owners of a club that have, that have achieved what they've achieved. Yes, you can go stale. Yes, you can have bad periods. And if you look at their, their, the, the players they've signed in, in the time that Rodgers has been at the club, as we said, there are very few hits, actually. And then that time, they've sold Maguire, they've sold Chilwell, they've now sold Fofana. Um, so they've not been regenerating the team as in, in with the same success rate. But with regards to the owners, you know, they, they're a travel retail group. Like, travel's, not, travel's been pretty, pretty badly hit <laughs> over the last few years. So that's one aspect. And the other thing is their wage, wage to turnover ratio went up to, I think, 105% a couple of years ago. And then... So they've been trying to bring that down. It's, it was at eighty-five percent, and now they're you know obviously if they want to be in in Europe, which is their goal, it's got to be getting down towards seventy percent. So there's also an overarching kind of view of of what what needs to happen. 
and they've got too many players on big, big money, Premier League players, not playing. And I think they need they were they were right to think we need to move some of these guys on before we can really spend money again to bring bring lots of players in. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Okay, let's move on to Fulham next. Um, one of the promoted sides have had a very good start to the season. They've brought in about 11 or 12, I guess, senior players. Um, you'll remember Andreas Pereira and Jao Polina coming in early on in the window. Uh, more recently, uh, Issa Diop, live in Kazawa from Paris Saint-Germain. Willian is back in the Premier League, as is Carlos Vinicius. Dan James from Leeds has come on loan on deadline day as well. Um is this setting up Fulham to have a very good season under Marco Silva and certainly stay in the Premier League, Johnny? Yeah, they, they may have finally kind of learned, as it were, from from um, previous wins. They look like they've done good business, actually. Um, you know, Paulinha looks fantastic. They're already real Premier League player. And Andres Pereira, I think, is, 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 is a clever signing, already showing his class. Duke's a good defender. Burnt Leno, they've got a, a Premier League standard goalkeeper. You know, don't know how long, how much Williams got left in the tank, but certainly a great professional, very popular guy. Um, and also signings that seem to be in tune with what Marco Silva wants. And, and in previous cycles, Fulham haven't always, um, the manager and the, and, and the recruitment hasn't always joined up at Fulham, but it looks like it's joined up this time. And apart from losing Fabio Carvalho for, Five million, which you know they couldn't do anything about that, but that's going to be a ridiculous fee in time to come. It's such a talent. Apart from that, I think a pretty good summer for them. Agree, Gregor? Yeah, the one thing I would say is I'm kind of looking at their signings. I, I don't know how many of them jump straight into the first team. The first, the, the starting eleven. Diop might have, you know, although Reem has actually probably had his best spell mm. in the Premier League so far uh, for Fulham. He's always looked a little bit out of his depth, but there's been other issues at the club too, obviously, when they've been up in previous seasons. And, you know, I, I think Carlos Vinicius will will 
undoubtedly have a, part, a big part to play and someone like Dan James as well will be you know knocking at the door but I I, I just I kind of look at their the starting 11 that they've been playing a lot of the time and, and it's quite well balanced particularly in midfield Reid and, and Polini that's, that's going to be a, a great partnership I think Pereira and that and that kind of advanced role in front of them I, I think I think as well that they're that Riemann Adabari, uh sorry Adarabio is is have been have been really good and as I say, I just don't, I can't see any of them jumping straight into the into the start eleven. But look, you need depth. You need you need cover for when injuries arrive, and I'm sure that we'll see some of them making an imprint soon. Finally, we're going to give a few clubs a special mention in a minute, but I think the last one we really need to focus in on is Liverpool, who bought in Arthur Melo uh, from Juventus right at the end of the window, a midfield player. A lot of their fans wanted one of those. Of course, we know about Darwin Nunez, Calvin Ramsey, and Fabio Carvalho. Uh, who you just mentioned, Johnny. How positive could you call this window for Liverpool, especially when we compare it to what Manchester City, their big rivals, have done? Yeah, I mean, well, Liverpool's a funny one because you've got to factor in Jurgen Klopp's kind of comments this week, which it's very rare to hear him express any sort of disgruntlement with, with the ownership. But there was a bit of a bit of a gripe there about, or, or at least a, maybe not great, but pointing out of difference of opinion that he felt they needed to do more. And he might just be thinking about, let's say, Manchester United, who went into this window with an idea that they were going to spend about £80 million and suddenly realised, you know, wow, this, this market has changed. We have to do something. And I think what he was trying to say is maybe we should have reacted in the same way. That said, you know, it, it's easy to kind of live in the here and now and not look at the, the sort of, wider picture of where we were before Darwin Nunes got his three-game ban and his red card. You know, had that not happened, Liverpool's league position might be different and um, the view of the signings might be might be different. And, and the fact is they did recruit a very, very talented uh, future number nine. I mentioned Carvalho, who looks a steal. Calvin Ramsey will, will be a steal as well. Um, and uh, uh, much may depend on Mello or Arthur um, and, and how adequate a, a kind of deputy for Thiago Alcantara he is. And he's a he's a player that that's record suggests could get, could go both ways. You know, there's incredible buzz about him a few years ago when he came out of Brazil with Grêmio and initially at Barcelona, a real buzz about him, but hasn't been able to 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 push on. Now, Liverpool have, have had a very good record of, of, of signing the right talents at the right time. So it has to has to work with, with, with Arthur, I would say. Um, but my final remark on them would actually just be to say again, you know, we get fixated on incomings, but you always have to look at the outgoings. And I'll, I'll say it again, losing Sadio Mane is, is huge. It's always going to be huge. One of Liverpool's best ever attacking players and someone fundamental to how the whole machine operated. What are your thoughts on Liverpool, Gregor? Look, I kind of back up what Johnny's saying, but I think for that reason, a lot of it will stand or fall on how, how Darwin does. And, you know, obviously mm. he started well and then had a moment of madness. But, they, you know, Liverpool keep going behind the games and they need someone to to be clinical. And he has to be that guy, really. I think he has to be. Another thing is that, like, Harvey Elliott came back from injury and he's... You know, towards the end of last season, and and this season looks like it could be his season. I think he's been he's been outside 
probably the best player at the start of the season so far. So there's all that, that's the one thing about these you know well-run big clubs with a with kind of fruitful academies. They can always kind of call upon someone. I know Harvey Elliott didn't come through their academy, but there are you know there's also Curtis Jones. There are a lot of players injured in in Liverpool's midfield, and they'll start to come back. And I think the kind of narrative will change a bit, and what that's why I'm saying it will return to the man they spent the big money on. He's got to. He's got to be a success for, for it to be a successful window for Liverpool. There are a few clubs before we move on that I do want to give a special mention to. Um, Brentford, uh, Aaron Hickey coming in. Uh, you've got Keen Lewis Potter, Thomas Strakosha as well, Ben Mee, Mikel Damsgaard. I think they just continue to do what they do, which is really shrewd uh, signings in the window who will have an effect and fit right in. So credit once again to Brentford. Gregor, I might as well ask you about Brighton because they've signed your boy Billy Gilmore, but they also had a pretty good they also had a pretty good summer, didn't they? Uh, when you look at their signings, I think it's more about you know replacing players for them because they lost Eve Basuma, they lost Mark Kukurea, Um, but I think to have Purvis Estupinian. Uh, come in from from Villarreal, who's got Champions League experience. Um, I think Levi Colwell is a shrewd signing on loan, for example, and then to get a Billy Gilmore um, is good for Brighton. But I just wanted to ask you about Gilmore, what he needs to do after that difficult loan spell at Norwich now that he's got to Brighton. Is this the right move for him? I think it's a good move for him. Um, Only time will tell whether it's going to be the right move. Look, he wasn't going to play... Chelsea clearly under Tuchel and before we came on air that it's just a it just a kind of underlines how much a, a career at a, a football club can can be altered by a change in the dugout and ended and that's what's happened I think I think part of it is on is on Billy Gilmore himself and that although it was a difficult period for Norwich City last season difficult place to be I'm sure he didn't play brilliantly and he had, hasn't actually played brilliantly for for Scotland over the last year or so as well so he's got to go and play regularly uh, so he'll first of all he'll have to get in that team but it's a good team to get in because they play football and they're very technical and that suits them um, so I very much hope <laughs> very very much hope it will be a good move for Billy Gilmore and Brighton and finally Johnny uh, Leeds United I think they're the final club that I felt needed a mention because again um, we almost raised eyebrows about some of their recruitment they did it early um, Brendan Aronson, Rasmus Christensen, Mark Rocker, Tyler Adams, Lewis Sinistera. Um, those will be important players for them. And I think they deserve to shout as well. But it all looks like it's going to fit well uh, for Jesse Marsh. It does. Um, again, a, a recruitment policy lined up with the, the manager, um, particularly Aronson and Adams and Christensen, um, players he knows and, and are attuned to his um you know, high, high pressing, kind of pressing style. Um, of course, they lost Rafinha and Calvin Phillips. That has to be noted. Two superb players. Probably couldn't do anything about either of those outgoings, but they do leave big holes. And then, I mean, there was a, there was a weirdness of of deadline day, wasn't there, where they they thought they had um, Cody Gakpo, and then there was the saga involving um, Dieng, the uh, Bamba Dieng from. Uh, from Marseille, who seemed to be actually on his way, like physically on his way to Leeds when he got a call from Nice and then uh, decided he'd rather stay in South France instead and then failed his medical at Nice. And that, you know, that had the owner kind of posting social media messages about how we've, we've all been done here today, uh, you know. So it was, a, it was a bit of a soap opera yesterday for Leeds and they probably did need that extra 
attacking body in. Um, but the ones they have brought in are good. Okay, that's it. It's finally over. The transfer window is done. We can focus on the football. That's exactly what we're going to do on Monday as we react to a huge game at Old Trafford uh, between Manchester United and Arsenal. Uh, Up next, we'll be talking about the Lionesses. They're back in action this weekend as well. The Lionesses are back in action. England on the verge of securing qualification for next year's Women's World Cup. They have a perfect eight wins from eight so far. There are two more matches to go as they head to Austria this weekend before a final qualifier against Luxembourg. So I think it's fair to say England are on easy street. But Molly Hudson has made the trip to Vienna nonetheless uh, from the Times and joins us now on the game. Hi, Molly. Hi, Hugh. Enjoying your time out there? Um, well, as you as you say, I've uh, travelled out to Vienna. I did. I had a lovely flight out to Vienna, but in classic women's football fashion, in a far throw from what we all enjoyed in July, the game is actually being held in a place called Wiener Neustadt. I'm sure, which is lovely, but the hotels, um, not so much. And the stadium is also only 3,000-seater, which, um, yeah, it couldn't be, couldn't be much different for the Lionesses from, you know, 90,000 at Wembley for the final to this kind of bump back down to earth, I suppose. So, Molly, after a raft of uh, big retirements for England, we spoke about a couple of weeks ago. Um, Do you think that we're going to see the beginning of a new era for England after that Euros win? I think we will do to some extent. I think Saturday's game is going to be a really good test because um, the, the Austrian team are are a pretty good team. We saw them at the Euros. It was, they only lost 1-0 to England, that big opener at Old Trafford. Um, obviously, it will be difficult for England coming to play here in very different surroundings. And I think the main thing to look out for really is is who will lead the line. Um, you would say kind of on form and from what we saw at the Euros, that it would be Alessio Russo. But obviously... Serena Wiegmann had had such faith in Ellen White to play her from the start in every match that we haven't really seen Russo from the start. So we know what she can do as an impact sub, but we also know that that's a very different role to to starting games against, you know, less tired defences, having that responsibility of being the key striker. She's never really had that, really. Um, She's still relatively young, so I think... I think that will be the most interesting thing. And also for me, I'm quite looking forward to perhaps seeing Ebony Salmon. And maybe we won't see her until the Luxembourg game. But she's been in fantastic form in the US in the National Women's Soccer League for Houston Dash. She scored, I think it's uh, in her first eight games, she scored eight goals. Um, And she's a really young talent, 21, kind of getting her her big chance, um, having been in the England squad a year ago and... Wiegmann felt she wasn't quite ready and now she's coming back in and it really feels as though she's matured out in the US. So I think she might be one to to kind of watch out for for this new era of Lionesses. Do you think these players, though, Molly, can can take England on? Do you think that the the changes will see an immediate step forward or will there be quite a lingering transitional period? I think it's actually going to be quite hard to tell. And obviously we had this when... Wiegmann came in until really the Arnold Clark Cup. We didn't really know where England were because of the opposition that we were facing. And it's probably going to be similar in this period again. Obviously, we've, we've got the game against Austria, which should be a challenging one. And then Luxembourg is, is a game that you sort of expect to win by a significant margin, you know, almost double figures. So 
I think maybe from this camp we won't learn perhaps as much as we will do in the coming months. Obviously, the if England can get one point from from these two games, which quite clearly they they should, then there's the the friendly with um, the United States penciled in for October, which is sold out at Wembley, and I think that will be a really good test to see where England are, and I think. At some point, we have to anticipate that there is going to be a bump in the road. You know, Vigman has managed 20 games and is yet to lose, you know, 90% winning record. At some point, there's going to be a challenge for this team. And I think that's that's what, what will really be the test without some of those experienced figures like Ellen White and Jill Scott, how they cope with that. If England do, though, qualify uh, this weekend, or, well, I'm sure they will in their next couple of games. I'm very confident about that that happening. Um do you think the euphoria of the Euros, we, we haven't really started the conversation about the World Cup yet, and that, of course, will begin as soon as England are qualified, as to whether they can have a side that can win the World Cup, that, that is good enough to challenge the best? And I know you said we don't really know where we stand on that, but we, we, you know, we have an understanding of the quality of players in our squad and elsewhere. How do we match up? I think... Again, very much as what we were saying about the Euros, having um, Wiegmann at the helm makes a huge difference in that sense. We saw that she went on and won the Euros um, with the Netherlands, but then she also reached the World Cup final um, with the Netherlands and actually set up them very well to face the US. And they were, they were quite unlucky to lose that game. So I think... England will definitely be one of the favourites. I I really am quite quite looking forward to that United States game because I... Look, when you get to a World Cup, it's always, is anyone better than the United States? And for so often, the answer is no. So I think that's really the the kind of bar that you're testing yourself against. And although it will be a friendly, I don't think it will really feel like a friendly when, when you see the calibre of players that are going to be there, obviously the amount of people watching and the implications of, of what you know beating the US could do for, for kind of England's confidence going into the World Cup. So I think that England should be one of the favourites, but whether or not they are the favourite, I don't think we, we quite know yet. So thank you, Molly. Uh, enjoy the game out there in Austria. As hopefully the Lionesses, fingers crossed, uh, make their way into that World Cup in Australia and New Zealand next year. And hopefully, fingers crossed, turn themselves into possibly a World Cup winning side as well. It all really starts here. But listen... Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Thank you to Gregor Robertson, uh, Jonathan Northcross and Molly, of course. And remember, we will be back on Monday. Loads for us to discuss. It's turning into a great season. Every weekend has some great talking points. Make sure you're with us. So subscribe to the podcast. You will not miss an episode. And to get more of our award-winning journalism, all you've got to do is go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game or download the Times app and hit sport. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. 